0: Hey, listeners! We are so excited for you to hear our bookish discussion with Annie Jones, owner of the bookshelf in Thomasville, Georgia. But before we dive in, we wanted to tell you about a special offer just for listeners of novel pairings. In this episode, you're going to hear us gush about the bookshelf's shelf subscription service. This is a monthly subscription that delivers a brand new, hardback, staff pick book to you. Every month. You get to choose which bookshelf staffer you want selecting your book each month. I'm a huge fan of the Annie Box, and I gifted the Annie Box to Chelsea for her birthday this year. But there's an option for every variety of reader, or you can let the bookshelf team surprise you each month. A shelf subscription is a wonderful gift idea for any book lover in your life, or a great way to jumpstart your own reading in 2021. Right now, listeners of Novel Pairings can get 10% off your purchase of a shelf subscription with the code NOVELIDEA2020. This offer is good until the end of January, but we think you'll want to act now because a shelf subscription box is a perfect last-minute holiday gift. Be sure to use code NOVELIDEA2020, that's in caps and all one word, you can find it in our show notes to get 10% off and give yourself or your favorite bookworm the gift of their next great read. Welcome to Novel Pairings, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. Each episode, we'll discuss one classic book, and share some recommendations for more contemporary reads that feature similar themes. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary. A
1: very special guest on to talk books with us. We have Annie Jones, the owner of The Bookshelf, a really cute independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. I've had the pleasure of visiting. Welcome to Novel Pairings, Annie.
2: Hi, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: We are so excited to talk books with you. We are both huge fans of all of your recommendations and your shop. I gifted Chelsea a shelf subscription for her birthday this year. I've gifted that to myself a couple of times. (laughs) We just love everything you do. Uh, Thank you.
2: That support means a lot, especially this year. So thank you so much.
1: Another thing we love is your podcast, From the Front Porch, where you talk books and reading and just I don't know, bookish conversations, sometimes with yourself, sometimes with some guests, and it's really lovely to see your face while
0: hearing your voice. (laughs) (laughs) Yay, I hope hope it matches. (laughs) I hope it makes (laughs) it. Yeah, this is going to be so fun. We're going to talk about some classics today, some cozy reads. We'll talk about supporting your local indies and indie bookstores around the country during the pandemic and during the holiday season. So just all things bookish goodness today. But Annie, we wanted to start by asking you a question we ask of every guest on Novel Pairings, which is, what is one classic that you love and one classic that you loathe? This was such a tough
2: question because I actually love more classics than I loathe. And so I made like this really lengthy list of classics I love, but I thought I would go with one I have read most recently, which is East of Eden by John Steinbeck. I wound up loving this book, and it really ties into so many of the themes that I love in modern literature, and so it makes a lot of sense that I would love this classic. So my classic I love is East of Eden by John Steinbeck.
0: I love that book, too. And I read it as an adult as well, which I, I feel like it is not a classic I would teach or give to teenagers. But coming to it as an adult, I agree, it, it resonates with so many of the contemporary books I love.
2: Yeah, I'm glad I read it as an adult. I There are some classics I wish I had read as a teenager so that I had a teacher to walk me through it. But East of Eden is one that I'm kind of glad I met later. Um the classic I loathe, I think, is going to be disappointing to a lot of people. I tried to think hard, and like I went back to college, and I was like, "Gosh, I loathed Summa of the Summa," but I was like, "Nobody cares about that." What they really <laughs> want to know is <laughs> like, like I literally found that book on my bookshelf, and I was like, "Ugh, this book." And then I thought, "Nobody cares about that." Um, <laughs> I loathe Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier and I am sorry about it like I want to love it but I did not I did not really like
1: Rebecca that's interesting (laughs) (laughs) I don't say that to be sassy but um we haven't covered Rebecca on the podcast yet we haven't covered the book but we did Mm -hmm. talk about the new Rebecca adaptation which we both really hated I did, too. Yep. I watched it with my book club. Not
2: a fan. but and, and I read, and I think part of my problem with Loathing Rebecca stems from the fact that I accidentally read a retelling first. So I read a modern retelling called The Winters, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And then I read Rebecca not realizing The Winters was a retelling, which is my own fault. I read it as an arc, and so... I don't know, I didn't read the description, whatever. Uh, And then I read Rebecca and I was like, this sounds familiar. I appreciate Rebecca because I think I see Daphne du Maurier's influence in a lot of modern literature, especially kind of the domestic thriller or suspense genre. But I I think I might just not like gothic literature. Like the other book I loathe, but it's not fair to say I loathed it because I didn't finish it, is Jane Eyre. And I didn't read it, so that's not fair. I can't say I loathed it because I didn't read it but Rebecca,
0: I did. We'll allow you to say you loathe the book that you didn't finish, too. <laughs> 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 I, yeah, I mean, Gothic literature is, like, such a specific niche. I feel like it is a love or hate kind of thing yeah. that, that people either, you know, get really into and want to read every variation, or it's just like, you know, you've you've seen it once and, and you can be done with it. We talked about... The Winters on our episode about the Rebecca movie and how mm-hmm. maybe that would have made a better Netflix movie. Like they should have made The Winters.
2: Yeah. I, which I think I would have really liked. And I don't know. I also don't like Army Hammer. So it may not be, I don't know. It may not be Daphne de Maurier's fault.
0: It's fine. Well, he was not a great maxim. I think we can no. all agree on that. <laughs> he
1: was not. He was really not. Well, I think one thing we've all learned from talking about books publicly is that you're never the only one. So, honey, you're not the only one who hates Rebecca. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> you're just you. never the only bookworm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's what we have to tell ourselves because books are so personal, right? And I will never forget reading Rebecca and feeling pretty ambivalent about it. And one of my customers whose tastes I typically really share, and we have very similar tastes on things, she was shocked and I think super disappointed. And I understand that because I have also felt that way and I've been on the other side, but you're right. You're never the only person and it's okay. This is a safe space, right? (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And not only so personal, but it's like, you have to sometimes read things at the right time or they just don't hit you right. And so, and you only get one chance at reading a book for the first time. (laughs) That's right. It's a lot of pressure for a book. (laughs) Yeah. Annie, it sounds like
1: you really, so you said, I actually love a lot of classics. It sounds like you kind of have a reverence for a lot of these classic books. I'm curious to kind of go back to high school Annie because Sarah and I have talked on the podcast about how we were not necessarily the most devoted students in our English classes, which is weird because we're English teachers, <laughs> but we did not read a lot of books. We just skipped them. We did spark notes, we skimmed, we just like BS'd our way through. <laughs> and so what was younger classics Annie like <laughs> I
2: don't know if you we can see each other's faces which is helpful I'm trying to not um, judge you both because I love you you seem very delightful uh, but but can you see my my chest getting red like school-aged Annie was very studious and very um, devote and devout to my teachers and I loved English class and I read them all like I read every book you made me read I read um, and <laughs> And I didn't love them all, but a lot of them I really did. Like, sometimes I'll talk with friends, you know, about... I think about Steinbeck um, and The Pearl. Like, I loved The Pearl when I was in school. And I would like to say, I think that is partly because I had really good English teachers. And so my English experience, I think, was really... My learning experience, I think, was really uh, valuable because of the women who taught my classes. So I, as a student read all the books, did all the projects, did the extra projects. If you wanted me to do extra projects, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I designed a beautiful book cover for the Scarlet Letter, which I adored. Uh, and so I was very nerdy and very, I think it's more than nerdiness. I, I think it's very devoted to um, to my classes I guess I don't know I definitely maybe I would speak differently about something like physics class or chemistry class but when it came to English class I was there reading all the books maybe being sadly a little more judgmental than I should have been about kids who read spark books or uh, spark notes but I won't judge <laughs> you now I'm, I'm a better
0: person now <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah, I I haven't totally unpacked what it was that made me not read all of the books in my English class because I was a huge reader in high school. I think it was just kind of a, like, I'd rather mm-hmm. read my own books or maybe even thinking I knew better than some of my English teachers about what was a good book. Like, I think I was like, just a huge snob. And I wished that I had read more of what I was assigned in English class because you know having that breadth of knowledge and as a as an avid reader and you know book person now i wish i had i don't know just appreciated the opportunity to just be reading and talking about books
2: you know, I look back and I think actually for me, what I did not enjoy as much was summer reading. And I think that is because summer required reading felt like now you're interrupting my personal reading time. And I do what you ask me to do all school year long. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I perform and I do what I'm supposed to do. And summer, I should get to read whatever I want. And so what I do recall having more difficulty with was the summer reading. And I honestly think that's also because there's no teacher to guide you through that then. So you're reading it and you're reading it kind of in a vacuum all by yourself. Maybe you're filling out a journal or writing a paper or something, but no one is walking you through these books. And so for me in school, like during the school year reading, I was there for
1: that, but it was summer reading required reading that was a little harder for me. So as an adult reader who's not sitting in a classroom, how do you tend to approach the classics and read them and integrate them into your reading life now? What do you do to get that experience and that learning experience that you crave?
2: I think the number one rule for me when I'm reading a classic as an adult is to do it either... As a duty or responsibility, which I think is what I basically just confessed to you in this little therapy (laughs) session we're having. (laughs) I am very duty-driven, and I think it was assigned to me, and so I did it. Um, And I feel the same way about reading classics now. If it's something I'm reading for the podcast or reading for a book club, I will read it. I will do it. I also think the other rule that I have found to be true for me or the principle I have found to be true, is to read it with another person. So just like I loved reading classics under great teachers, I also like reading classics now with fellow avid readers. So Hunter, who people might know from Instagram, Bookstagram, at Shelf by Shelf, he is a dear friend of mine, and he is actually who I typically wind up reading classics with. So if it is something to which I am duty bound, then I will do it and I will read it. Or if it is something I really want to read, I typically will grab somebody to read it along with me. And often that winds up being Hunter, who is such an thoughtful, avid reader in his own right. And so I guess it kind of almost replaces that student teacher relationship that I used to have. And now it's another reader who's smarter than I am, wiser than I am, and who will bring new light to the subject matter. And we can discuss it together because that's my favorite part about reading, I think, or one of my favorite parts is getting to discuss it and share those thoughts and ideas with other people.
0: Yeah, especially with classics. I mean, Chelsea and I have talked a lot about like, what does a classic even mean? And something that we kind of come back to is, you know, a book that never stops saying what it has to say, but it Mm. also is a book, I think, that says something different to different readers. And so it's so valuable to have another perspective to discuss when you're talking about classics.
2: Yes. And I love it because Hunter and I are really good friends who also, I think, have pretty different worldviews even. And so we approach these classics in very different ways. And I love that because he opens my eyes to new things. And I hope I, I hope I do the same for him. I hope it's a kind of symbiotic relationship, but that's definitely my preference when reading classics as an adult. I do find it harder to read a classic without like a friend or a buddy to read it alongside me.
0: Totally. Do you and Hunter, when you do your Conquer a Classic and you choose one. Do you almost always choose a book that you haven't read before or are you occasionally rereading?
2: Almost always so far, it has been a new book for me, at least. I think he, gosh, he is such a prolific reader. It is astounding. And so it's hard to read a book that Hunter hasn't read yet. Um, (laughs) But typically, when we're doing these kind of conquer classic, or for a while we called a series Love It or Loathe It, and occasionally we would read a classic book, it was a book we either neither of us had read or only Hunter had read. I don't know what book we're going to do for 2021. He and I are still kind of brainstorming, but Anna Karenina was one that I had never read. And it was like my bucket list book. And Hunter had read, I want to say half. And he had seen the movie. I knew truly nothing except I wanted to read this book when I was 16 and then never followed through. So, This was fun because he kind of knew some of the things that were coming that I did not know. And so that was really fun, too, was to have somebody who kind of it's like watching a movie with somebody who's already seen the movie and kind of looks at you like, what is she going (laughs) to (laughs) think?
0: Especially because he knows your reading tastes so well. I bet he was especially excited about certain parts. (laughs) Yes, very much so. Well, speaking of
1: talking about the classics together and bringing them into conversation, Sarah and I are about to record an episode about Little Women, which is a classic that we've both read before and had some mixed feelings on. And so part of why we were really excited to bring you on is because of your unabashed enthusiasm for Little Women, and we definitely wanted to highlight that and spread the joy for that book before we get a little bit critical about it on the podcast. <laughs> well, so can you tell us a little bit about your love for Little Women?
2: Yes. I And look, I think every classic, every book really, deserves and needs to be read with both maybe unabashed enthusiasm, like in my case, but also a critical eye. like Books are deserving of both of those feelings um, and both of those ways of analyzation. But I adore little women, partly I think truthfully because I first read it when I was eight years old. And in the words of the incomparable Kathleen Kelly, like the books that you read as a child impact you in ways other literature just can't. And I, that is the first book I remember like hiding in my closet to read while I was supposed to be in bed, like with a flashlight, kind of stereotypical thing. It's the first book I remember feeling deep feelings about. I had read American Girl books. I had read, you know, maybe some other children's lit, but this is the first book, I think, where I started to feel like adult feelings. Like I cried over Joe and Lori. I was distraught about Beth. Um, I felt seen in Joe. And so I... I just remember as a kid who didn't have a ton of feelings, like like, <laughs> <didn't>, <laughs> uh, like a pretty kind of low-key kid, I just remember this book brought out a lot of feelings in me. And then I've reread it countless times, which I do not normally do. But I think because I read it so young, I have been able to kind of revisit it over the years. And so that I think is really where my true adoration for it comes from. I read it as an adult now and certainly have occasional mixed feelings about what I'm reading but mostly there's just something about that nostalgia and that feeling seen and understood as a kid that I just don't think you can forget.
0: Yeah, I remember seeing so Chelsea and I think both read Little Women as adults for the first mm-hmm. time. And when I saw the new Greta Gerwig movie, that was the first time I just had this ache that I so wish i had read little women as a kid because i think i probably would have have loved it and i yeah. i don't know like i feel like i had almost fomo for like <laughs> looking backwards and wishing i could be nostalgic about this story
2: yeah i love the greta gerwig adaptation i think we're going to talk about it a little bit later but i think Some of the simplicity... So Hunter is a good example of somebody who read it. He also read it in adulthood for the first time. And he talked to me about it because he knows, obviously, I'm not shy about my love for that book. And one of the things that I think comes up, and I don't know what your own criticisms are or will be, but something that came up with him was kind of the moralistic simplicity of the book. Like It's very goody-two-shoes in parts. But I, at eight years old, was a goody-two-shoes. Like, I, I... That very much spoke to me, like what right and wrong looked like and and what's valued and what's not. And as an adult, I think those things are a little bit more gray and a little more complicated than maybe little women suggest. Um, but I think as a kid, when you're just starting to feel your way into, I don't know, a moral compass and what truths are gonna guide you, I think it met me at a time where I fully, Felt well understood by that, by Louise Malcott's stances she was taking.
0: Do you find that you take something new away from your rereads, or is it primarily the nostalgia that that is there for you?
2: I think primarily for me it is nostalgia. Especially, I just reread this year, and I typically reread it every year, but once I owned the bookshelf, some of my rereading devolved, (laughs) disappeared. But I reread this year during the pandemic, An Old Fashioned Girl, which is actually, I think maybe my favorite Louisa May Alcott book. And it was interesting rereading Little Women, rereading An Old Fashioned Girl. Normally I read those for nostalgia, But this year, I think I saw some of those adult characters in A New Light. And I don't know if we have Greta Gerwig to thank for this or not, but I found myself especially drawn to Marmee's role in the book. And I wonder if the older you get, (laughs) this is a silly comparison, but I'm a big Gilmore Girls fan. And I was around 16.
1: (laughs) I'm only giggling because you're not the first guest to bring up Gilmore Girls, and we strongly encourage it. We love Gilmore Girls, too. Okay,
2: good. So I re re rewatch Gilmore Girls pretty regularly. I first watched it as a 16-year-old, Rory's age. Now I am 34, much closer, even... Dare I say, gasp! Older than Lorelai was at the start of the series, and so the older I get, it's the the more I start to pay attention to Lorelai's storyline, if that makes sense, and the the occasionally more silly Rory's storyline seem. I don't want to dismin- diminish them, but. I feel the same way I think about some of these classics when I reread them, especially books like Little Women or An Old Fashioned Girl or Rose in Bloom or Anne of Green Gables, books where the protagonists were about my age when I was reading them, and now I'm reading them as an adult, and so I'm looking at those adult characters a lot more than I used to.
1: And I think so much of it depends on not just your age, but just what's going on in your life and going on in the world at any given time when you pick up a book, because I read Little Women maybe like four or five years ago Mm -hmm. and then saw the Gerwig adaptation. I loved that movie. Mm -hmm. And now I I didn't pick the book up to read again, but I've been reading retellings and adaptations Mm -hmm. in preparation for our episode. Mm -hmm. And I think that partly because of just pandemic life, Mm -hmm. the simplicity of the story, the comfort of togetherness and... Mm -hmm. Like you were saying that black and white right versus wrong and, you know, making for easy decision making, (laughs) all of that is way more appealing to me right now in this moment than it Mm -hmm. was when I first read the book. Yes. And, and there are even some other personal things going on. Like when I first read the book, my husband was deployed over Christmas time and Mm. I knew I wasn't going to see him. And then now I've been thinking about little women and I know that he's going to be home by Christmas, Mm -hmm. just like their father Yeah, in that beautiful scene that made me bawl when I watched the movie the other day.
2: (laughs) 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 Oh, you're not alone.
1: (laughs) It's just so different depending on what's going on in your life, too.
2: Yes, I think that's a great point. You're right. It's not just about age. It's about where that book meets you and where that book finds you. And that's true of all kinds of literature. But I think there's a reason that after not rereading An Old Fashioned Girl for years because of the bookshelf... I picked it up this year, and I think that's on purpose. I think that's because in the middle of global upheaval, I sought comfort, and that book is simple and pure, fair, like the purest of the pure, and I needed that, and and found it to be, oh, just so, such a warm blanket of a book.
0: Well, Annie, you've been touching on this a little, but I'm just curious how you see the books you loved as a young reader reflected in some of the books that you love now as an adult? I
2: love this question because it really made me have to think. And I actually had thought of something similar earlier this year because we at the bookshelf have been rereading, in my case, rereading the Babysitters Club books for a book club we've done. And that has been the biggest delight of this <laughs> not delightful year. <laughs> I have found such solace in those books. And there was a great New York Times article about how the Babysitter's Club made this writer a literary fiction lover. And I devoured the article because I was like, oh my gosh, did reading the Babysitter's Club books affect my adult reading habits? And the point this New York Times author was making was that the Babysitter's Club is told from different perspectives and mm-hmm. you get different authors' viewpoints and so you learn different narrative uh, voices and storytelling ideas. And so I realized, oh, did do I love literary fiction because of these books I read as a kid? I also think about, you know, the purity and simplicity of Little Women. There's also a lot in there about morals and faith. And now that I'm older, I'm drawn to books like East of Eden, A Place for Us, The Mothers, where we're talking about families with complicated relationships with faith. I think about Franny and Zoe, one of my favorite classics that I read as a teenager, and that is nothing more than a dysfunctional family, and I love nothing more than a literary dysfunctional family. <laughs> and so I do think you can follow threads of what I read as a kid, what I was drawn to as a teen, and what I love now. Like, I, I think I am very consistent. Like, <laughs> like, somebody who knew Annie B. Jones at 16, I would look just as familiar to them now, I think. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love that,
0: <laughs> yeah, me too. i I um I, I think it's so fun. i I highly encourage listeners to pick a book or two that they loved as a kid and revisit it. it It's so special, both for that nostalgia, but it is really fun to see where adult reader you maybe got some of its roots. And that's fascinating. We'll put a link to that. Article about the Babysitters Club and literary fiction in our show notes.
2: Yeah, it's great, and I I think not only did these characters or these books affect my reading life because I certainly think my reading life was made was impacted by these stories, but I also think who I am was changed by these stories. I reread E.L. Konigsberg's from the Mix Up Files of Basil E. Frankweiler, and I reread it with Jordan and my husband last year, I think. And we were reading it out loud together. And Jordan out of nowhere was like, oh my gosh, this girl sounds just like you. Like, no wonder you loved this book as a kid. (laughs) And I kind of thought, does she sound just like me? Like, that's interesting. That's kind of a weird observation, but I don't know. Like sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, am I, who I am because of fiction, like did Joe March and Anne Shirley and even these protagonists that I forgot about, like I frequently think about Joe March as an influence, but I had not thought about this little girl in the museum, like as, as somebody that I found a kinship with, but Jordan immediately made the connection and I reread Bloomability by Sharon Creech earlier this year and Denny, the main character in that book loves Well, she eventually comes to love traveling in Switzerland and trying to have adventures. And I thought, oh, like, I think all of these characters shaped who I am. And I didn't even, I don't even think I fully realized it. The big ones, like Joe March, stand out. But I think even these smaller characters or these quieter
0: books, I think, made an impact, too. I love Bloomability. And I went and got it from my mom's house because of your, I think you mentioned it on your podcast yeah. at some point. And I was like, oh, I haven't read that in so long. And so I went and got my copy and I still haven't reread it, but I want oh, to. Oh, it's a delightful reread. It really, it holds up, I think.
1: Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Before we talk about some book recommendations, I do want to talk about books, but can we spend <laughs> just like a couple minutes talking about the Greta Gerwig Little Women adaptation because it's so good. Yes. And I just feel like I can't be in conversation with Annie P. <laughs> Jones without talking about it. <laughs> like It would be a yes, waste please. if we didn't say. <laughs> because I think it's brilliant. And I, as someone who didn't necessarily love the book when I first read it, mm-hmm. that movie... I I love that movie so much. Like I'm ready to rewatch it again, and I just watched it last week.
2: Yeah, I could rewatch that movie, and I have. <laughs> I have rewatched that movie probably a dozen times. I own it digitally. I own it on DVD. Like you you, you name it, I have I have bought in. Um, I. Came of age probably the same time you guys did with the 1994 Little Women adaptation. And I am not here to throw shade at that adaptation. But I will say, I just liked it. I never quite fell in love with it. And I don't, I couldn't even really put a finger on why. I don't know. Um, I have a weird thing with my nona writer where I feel kind of ambivalent. So maybe that's part of it. I'm not sure. But when I saw the Greta Gerwig adaptation, I went with my cousin to see it in the theater. My cousin is a notorious crier. She is far more emotional of a person than I am. She is more sensitive, more tender-hearted. I notoriously have a heart of stone. And so we went to watch this movie together, and there is a scene with Marmy and Joe relatively early on in the film, and I began truly sobbing at that point in the theater and did not stop. <laughs> and the lights came up in the theater which gosh i miss theaters the lights come up in the theater And my cousin looks over at me, truly appalled and stunned, (laughs) because normally, if anything, it is the reverse. And, like, I am the soother, and she is the one needing to be soothed. And this was very unusual for us in our relationship. (laughs) And she was truly, like, checking on me, like, are you okay? And I thought, this is the most beautiful thing
1: I've ever seen. Like, (laughs) this is...
2: This is the most perfect piece of art I've ever witnessed.
1: So good. I still, to this day, have never seen the 1990s version. Oh, really? So, literally, Greta Gerwig's Little Women is the only version that I have in my brain, which I kind of love. Like, I'm okay with that.
2: Yes, I think so. I've seen them all. Like, truly, even the black and white versions. I think I've seen all of the adaptations. I want to say all. I think there was a PBS version I did not see that starred Ethan Hawke's child. Anyway, I don't (laughs) think I saw that. (laughs) Um, I thought that was good, but I did not watch it. Um, But this Greta Gerwig version, everybody was talking about it, I think especially for the redemption of Amy. And as someone who read this book when I was eight and therefore had eight-year-old feelings about <laughs> Amy about Laurie i think this movie almost almost helped initiate my growing up <laughs> like like almost helped initiate my maturation <laughs> Um, and appreciation for what Louise Malcott does in Little Women because I hated Amy so much, like to the point where it affects my relationship with people named Amy. And I'm pleased to say that I think that has changed <laughs> because of Greta Gerwig. <laughs> and I just, I think the Amy character and then the Marmee portrayal, I have always loved Joe and I love Sir Ronan, so I was not surprised by my love for for that particular casting, but I think I was surprised by the fact that I all of a sudden felt things for Amy and felt things for Marmy that I'm not sure I'd ever felt before.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not an, an expert in the book itself, and I think I am going to try and do a quick reread before we record our episode on it, but I've been reading Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy, the work <gasps> About... Little Women which I'm loving and I'm I'm starting to feel a even a greater appreciation for the Greta Gerwig movie because it seems like she is both very faithful to the spirit of the book but also very faithful to Louisa May Alcott and maybe hit some of the scenes that probably Alcott loved and wanted to be celebrated more but weren't necessarily like the shining stars as young girls were reading the books like the scenes with Joe and Marmee or it just it feels like she she gets the author and the book so well and she fuses them into this really special rendition.
2: Yes I think you're absolutely right the parts of the book that stick out to you when you're eight or 16 have to do with what you are experiencing in those moments and so maybe you're drawn to the love story or you're drawn to the injustice of Oh, the in- absolute, inju- I'm going to get mad all over again. The injustice of the burning of Joe's book. Like, <laughs> <laughs>
0: like
2: you're just torn up over those things. But what, I mean, I had to go back. After I saw the Greta Gerwig version and I watched Marmee and Joe interact in that scene post-book burning, I went back to my version because I was like, does Marmee say that? She says this great line. She says, Joe, I'm angry every day of my life. And I was like, that seems very modern for Marmee. But that is an exact line from Little Women that I think eight-year-old me probably did not care about, maybe skimmed over, maybe didn't even notice. Adult me feels very seen by that and is in awe of Marmee's ability to both be filled with anger and also be a peacemaker and a peace seeker. I mean, it's 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 mind-blowing. I mean, I could talk all day about it.
0: <laughs> I'm like, honestly, getting chills listening to you talk about it. And this is why I wish I had read it as a kid. It makes me so sad. <laughs>
2: um, can we talk about one of my favorite aspects of the film adaptation, Growings adaptation, which I don't think... Um, I think other people did appreciate because the internet kind of blew up, but can we talk about those costumes please?
0: <laughs> of course.
2: I am still on the hunt for my Joe March wardrobe. Everything I take out of my closet, even still, we're now almost 12 months out from seeing that movie for the first time. And I'm still like, would Joe March wear this? And guess what, guys? She would. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love oh my that. Goodness. I mean, that plus Outlander, I'm just desperate for like a beautiful knit cowl that yeah. I can wear. I I yeah. want a vest. I love coats.
2: Oh, I'm jealous. I think both of you probably get to wear more coats than I do. I <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't really need a coat. But boy, the coats, the vests, all of a sudden I'm like, can I pull off a hat? I feel like can I wear a hat? <laughs> The uh, We have a local yarn shop in town and I'm friends with the owner and after Little Women came out, I took it upon myself and I messaged my friend and I said, if you haven't advertised that people can make this knitwear, like the cowl, there's like, there's this great wrap that wrap that I think a lot of those women wear in that movie. And I was like, you need to post about this so that people will know they can knit this. People more talented than I could knit it. And <laughs> she did not know what I was talking about at first. And then she saw the movie and she was like, oh, yes. And so like then she started
0: advertising that that you too could wear a Joe March knitted garb. <laughs> Maybe that will have to be my second wave of the pandemic dark at four o'clock. <laughs> Hobby for the next yes. couple of months.
1: You're going to need some metaphorical light. Let that be it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we can cut this if we want, but before we move on, I just had to tell you this fun anecdote about seeing the movie with my mom because I think you're both really going to get a kick out of it. <laughs> Please so, my do. mom, she might have read the book when she was little, but she doesn't, she didn't remember it at all. And so we went to the movie and it was like, she really had no idea what was going to happen. And so we're sitting there, and every single time that Beth was doing something sweet on screen, my mom was like, oh, oh, And she, I could just tell from sitting next to her that my mom was, like, really falling hard for Beth. And so I was like, you have to do something. She's going to be mad at you that you took her to this movie. So I leaned over and I whispered. I was like, don't get too attached. <laughs> and she was like, "No!" And I, and I said, "I had to warn you. You otherwise it was going to be like waterfall tears here." And of course, we both still cried, but at, after the movie was over, she was like, "Thank you for telling me because that would have been really bad."
2: <laughs> oh, oh that would have been quite the blow. Look, that's the other thing. I think that when you're eight and reading that book for the first time, Beth's death was really sad. Like, I do remember being sad about it. But perhaps in true eight-year-old fashion, I remember being sadder that Laurie chooses Amy. Like, I remember that affecting me more deeply. And I think it may have been because at eight, I did not have experience with death. Like, I'm not sure... I obviously knew what it was and could process it, but perhaps not fully process it. And every reading, as I get older, the death of Beth is far more moving to me. And I think that's part of the reason I sobbed so deeply in the Gerwig adaptation, because I saw the 1994 version in 1994. And to see it as an adult, now having lived through grief and now having lost people, I think it just, I mean, it is truly devastating. And to and to understand that she was essentially a, a child and what she had to suffer. And so I do think those scenes m- did not really move me very much before, but in adulthood moved me deeply.
0: I listened to, I don't know if you guys ever listened to Pop Culture Happy Hour, the uh, Linda Holmes NPR yeah. podcast but they did an episode on Little Women when it came out and they talked of course about the redemption of Amy like you were saying Annie but they also were talking about that you know they were saying redemption's not the right word but just this kind of different angle of Beth where she she felt a little yes. bit more human in the yes um in the Gerwig adaptation whereas for me in the book and in the 1994 movie, she felt more like a symbol, like the symbol of yes. of goodness. And I loved seeing her a little bit more silly and just just a more complex personality in the Gerwig version. Yes, I completely agree with that. Like as much as we talk about Amy
2: and Marmee. Beth often, I think, because of her storyline, gets the short end of the stick. Like We don't really get a ton of depth to Beth. But Gerwig somehow, and I think you're right, like ties into Louisa May Alcott and I think is reading things perhaps the way Louisa May Alcott wanted them to be interpreted and read. I don't know. Maybe I'm overstepping there. But I found Beth in this adaptation to be far more moving and relatable. And I, I found her to be a character who was endearing rather than just kind of this almost this is going to sound weird but like this sickly angel who
0: like <laughs> who like mm-hmm. saves the family I don't know yeah totally yeah I completely completely agree and I think I mean I don't have the authority to say this either but I think you're right that Gerwig reads the book the way Alcott wants readers to mm-hmm. all right now that we've you know, grieved over Beth, relived that, (laughs) (laughs) let's, um... Let's talk some cozy winter books. So, Annie, we asked you if you would suggest to our listeners some cozy or sisterly or little women-inspired books to read this winter. And listeners, we just want you to know that today in our show notes, all of the links for those books are going to be links to Annie's bookstore, The Bookshelf, and we highly recommend you you purchase any books you find today from The Bookshelf. Thank you for that. That's
2: so generous and kind and so helpful to our indie bookstore. So thank you. I had a lot of fun with this and I kind of (laughs) went, I was going to say hog wild. Is that a Southern phrase? I went hog wild (laughs) 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 and I'm going to start with definitely a little women adjacent title, but then I kind of I used my imagination a little bit and I'm going to make some recommendations based on what I think Joe and Louisa May Alcott might recommend. Oh, we love that. Okay, good. So my first recommendation is the Little Women Adjacent book, which is Joe and Laurie. I love this book. It is a young adult book and it is not for the little women purists. Like this is fan fiction, unabashed fan fiction <laughs> for those of you who like me read this book as a child and never understood why Joe and Lori can't make it work. Like, you just not understand. And I read this book right before, I think, the pandemic broke. And I sat, I remember vividly, like, I sat in one of my comfy chairs at my house. And I read it from start to finish in one sitting. And it's exactly the fan fiction eight-year-old me wanted. But it's also really well-written and very much an appreciation for the work itself. So I think at first I thought this is going to be fan fiction that maybe almost does little women a disservice, like almost because the fact is Louisa May Alcott didn't want Joe to be married. And then when she did, she picked an old professor. Like she did that on purpose. (laughs) Um, And so I was worried how I would feel about this total reimagining. but the way these authors did it, I found to be really, touching and very true in as much as you could be to the intent of the original work, which I found really fascinating how they were able to toe that line. So Joe and Lori, which is a young adult book would be great cozy reading this time of year too. It's very comforting. A lot like little women is comforting to me. Then I kind of went in different directions. So I thought, what book would I gift all of the Alcott sisters, like what book would Jo gift her sisters? And I thought she would gift What Kind of Woman by Kate Bear. Uh, Mm. This is a new poetry collection out by Kate Bear, who is, I feel like she came to prominence on Instagram. I used to follow her blog like bajillions of years ago. And she writes poetry in a way that is accessible for somebody like me who may not be a huge poetry reader. But also my... Bookshelf staffer, Laura, loves this collection of poetry, and Laura is an avid poetry reader. So Laura and I kind of approach it from different angles. But I think this collection is outstanding, and it is all about the different phases of womanhood. And so each section is kind of a different phase of womanhood. And even if you've never, maybe, like, there's a section on motherhood. That is not particularly applicable to me. And yet I found all of those poems to be extremely moving and thoughtful. So I think wherever you find yourself, I think you would appreciate this book. And I can very easily imagine Jo passing this out to her sisters at Christmas. It just seems like just the kind of book Jo would gift her sisters. And so that's What Kind of Woman by Kate Bear. Have you either of you read that yet? Or are you familiar with it?
1: I know her poetry, but I haven't read her collection yet. I've just... I just follow her on Instagram.
2: Yeah, Same. I, I think the collection is really great. Now, if, if you're familiar with her on Instagram, it won't be a surprise to you. Like a lot of the poems she's been posting on Instagram have made their way into the book. But I think it's just a lovely collection to own. And the cover's great. And it, I think it would make for perfect reading as we enter these darker months of the year. Then I went for a dysfunctional family story with heart. I decided I didn't want snark because little women, they're not snarky. They're not snarky in little women. Um, (laughs) I I think they really love each other and they don't show that love with sarcasm. And so I am recommending Musical Chairs by Amy Popel. This is a really fun book I read this summer. It maybe even has summer vibes, which normally I'm very much a seasonal reader. I want like wintry books in the winter. But... I can't help but recommend this book because of the characters and the families at the center of the book. There is a woman, mother, who is kind of an empty nester and finally thinking she's going to kind of focus on her career and her, she's this famous musician and she plays in this trio and now is the time for her trio to kind of retake off, reshape and then they find out one of their members maybe maybe isn't going to join in. And so she kind of has to reinvent what her life is going to look like. And she does it at this family home. And all of her adult children wind up joining her. And her platonic friend winds up coming around too with his family. And so it's a lot of family dynamics that I just find to be really fun around the holiday season kind of like the movie, The Family Stone, which I love. Mm-hmm. So Musical Chairs by Amy Papel. I think if you like the family dynamics of Little Women and kind of how they're like, don't get me wrong, they're not snarky, but they're, they're like at each other. <laughs> they're, they're at each other sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I think Musical Chairs has a very similar tone in my opinion. And then, gosh, I had such a long list. I'm going to just do two more. One is House Lessons. This is a great book. And I, about a home and about what home means and it's nonfiction kind of memoir but also I call it my favorite like liberal arts book of the year that's a phrase (laughs) that the author generously gave me where this book has so much in it it's more than just a memoir it is nonfiction about architecture and design and I When I think of Little Women, I think of that house. I love the way that Gerwig portrays that house in the film and kind of uses Louisa May Alcott's birthplace. And I think of all the things that happen in a home and in a house and what those things wind up meaning to the bones of that structure. And so if you also are intrigued by that, I think you'll like House Lessons. And then Nobody Will Tell You This But Me is a great memoir by a granddaughter about her relationship with her grandmother. These are spunky, feisty, hilarious women. And I can't help but think of Aunt March a little bit and the Aunt March Joe dynamic. And if that element of little women is appealing or interesting to you, or if you find yourself in a family with strong women, as I do, then I think you will love Nobody Will Tell You This But Me. Uh, it's by Best Kalb and my I gave it to my mom and my aunt and my cousin, and they all read it and died laughing, but also sobbed. Like it's a book that'll bring up a lot of feelings. And so, just as Kathleen says, read it with a box of tissues. But uh, it's my <laughs> last recommendation.
1: Those are so good. Yeah, Yay. you're really good at
2: this. Do you do this for oh, a living thank or you. something? <laughs> What a relief. Wouldn't it be terrible if I was meant to
0: be an accountant or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, I um I'm definitely gonna add a few of those to my own list. The same they sound fantastic. And we we also asked. Because our episode's dropping right before Christmas, if you had any other book recommendations that you think would make particularly good gifts, I I think a lot of the ones you shared would. And I also just listened to your gift guide episode of From the Front Porch. So we'll refer readers to that episode as well. But if there's we, we just can't get enough book recommendations around here. So if you have any particularly giftable books to share, we'd love that.
2: Okay, I did think of two fiction titles that I truly think are accessible to almost any reader. And that I think is the key, right? We get a ton of customers at the bookshelf this time of year who really have no idea what book their wife or significant other or friend or family member last read. They don't really know what tastes they, are, they have. Maybe what we get the most here in Thomasville, I don't know if this is true of other bookstores, but. Basically it's my wife liked where the crawdad's saying, What else can I get? Like it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a common question at the bookshelf. And so two fiction titles that I really do think would be giftable to almost any reader, and I think would be a great way, again, one of my favorite things to do is start conversations and to maybe read alongside whoever you're gifting them to. And they're books that came out earlier this year. The first is The Vanishing Half by Brett Bennett. I think this book is beautiful literary fiction, but I also do find it to be really accessible. I also think you get an access point to certain customers because it's going to be made into an HBO adaptation. And so that is a great way that we often use to help sell books to customers who maybe they have not read, but they are familiar with Big Little Lies or Little Fires Everywhere because of the film adaptations or the TV adaptations. So The Vanishing Half is one that I will be selling especially to my readers who liked crawdads because there is a really deep sense of place in that book uh both in Louisiana and in California the second recommendation came out like pre-pandemic which feels like 20 years ago and so I don't want people to forget (laughs) about it (laughs) um it is such a fun age by Kylie Reed. I loved this book because at its surface, and this is why I'm recommending it for for basically almost anyone on your list. At its surface, it's just a really fast-paced, interesting look at class, class dynamics, but there is so much else going on. And I think probably a person who just likes tur- page-turning, maybe women's fiction or um I don't know, like Reese Witherspoon picks, which I think this might have actually been a Reese Witherspoon pick. Somebody who is drawn to books like that is going to love this book. But then I think if you read it a second time or if you read it alongside your book club or whatever, you're going to unpack more and more out of it. It really, it has a lot of depth to it that I'm not sure readers Fully get the first go around, um, but they might the more they talk about it and the more they think about it. So, those are my two fiction picks. And then I'm also recommending Ex Libris, which I did mention on the bookshelf's um, podcast episode about uh, gifts, because I think this is a good book just for your avid reader. It's a collection by Machiku Kakutani. Uh, She is a former reviewer for the New York Times Book Review. And this is a beautiful but inexpensive collection of essays about some of her favorite books of the last several years and it's got like an essay by her and then a beautiful illustration of the book itself so it is gorgeous but also a great price point and really great for people who know they have a reader in the family but do not know what that reader particularly enjoys or what genres they are drawn to. And then last but not least, because along with an obsession with Little Women and Louise Malcott I do have an obsession uh, for the royal family. And so I have to recommend H.R.H. by Elizabeth Holmes, not the Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos fame. <laughs> 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 uh, the, Elizabeth Holmes, who is a former, I think, Wall Street Journal reporter, maybe Washington Post reporter. And she has done this gorgeous book about fashion as it relates to the royal family, particularly the women in the royal family. What I do love about this book, though, and I don't think you can get just from seeing the picture online, is that it is more than a coffee table book with beautiful pictures. It certainly is that. But you really, when you start flipping through it and reading the book, you really realize how talented Elizabeth Holmes is as a writer. And it has great narrative and narration about Queen Elizabeth, Princess Diana, Uh, Megan and Kate. And so it is delightful. This is a great book to give the royal enthusiast on your list. So I did have to just plug that one because I'm so excited about it. I already, I pre-ordered my copy. Very excited.
1: (laughs)
0: Those are
2: such good
1: recommendations. Yes, those are amazing. I was especially excited about your fiction picks the vanishing half and such a fun age have made appearances as pairings Mm -hmm. on the podcast we paired the vanishing half with passing and such a fun age we actually paired with emma by jane austen so oh fun those are so good
2: those are great matches. I, I have not read Passing, but it is on my list because somebody just pre-ordered it the other day. So it's come across my radar a few times where I'm like, oh, is this serendipity? Do I need to, maybe it's time. But I adored those two fiction books. And I think in a pandemic world, perhaps more than ever before, some books got lost in the shuffle. Uh, and I don't, I don't know that either, I think both of those were pretty big titles that publishers pushed. And so I'm not sure that those particular titles got lost in the shuffle, but publishing in general was just a little all over the place this year through no fault of its own. And so I just want to keep seeing the praises of these works that I
0: really enjoyed. All right. Well, speaking of some publishing trends and kind of how to support the book industry this holiday season, are there any other suggestions you have for our listeners and how to support The Bookshelf or other indie bookstores during the holidays?
2: Yes, absolutely. You know, I think The Bookshelf has had a really remarkably good year, all things considered, but I know we are extremely fortunate, and I know that has not been the case for other stores. So a sobering fact that the American Booksellers Association has kind of informed us as booksellers, but also I think the public at large, is that one indie bookstore has closed every week since the start of the pandemic. And by closed, I mean closed for good. And that is a number that is scary. And I just am constantly telling people, and I certainly told people this before the pandemic, but I feel like it's even more true now. If you love retail spaces of any kind or restaurants in your community. Like if you love those spaces and you find those places to be comforting or to be part of what makes up your community and your town, you need to support them so that they can stay in business. And for bookstores like The Bookshelf, I think one way you can certainly do that is by making purchases through their website. We have a website that doesn't have every book we have on our shelves, but it has a lot. And so we encourage readers and long distance customers to shop with us online. Other bookstores I know also have great websites and they're relatively easy to browse. And that is, I think, the number one way to help support bookstores is by making purchases. Another thing, at least for the bookshelf, that I think could help us sustain longer than just through the pandemic, right? Because the goal is to stay open, you know, for X number of years, we want to be in the community long term. And so for us, I think that means pre orders. So when you are pre ordering books, that is great for authors. It is so important for authors now more than ever, I think, thanks to Amazon. So pre orders are really important. And for us, our subscription service. So we have something called the shelf subscription. Sarah, you mentioned it at the top of the episode. This is kind of our book a month club where Each of our staffers, me, Olivia, and Lucy, select our favorite book of the month. We send them out to readers all over the country. It's a first edition hardback book, and it's mailed the first Tuesday of every month. By purchasing a shelf subscription, you are purchasing, right, Books through three, six, or 12 month periods. So, your purchase of one subscription really does help us long term. Our subscription service is a great way to support us and to support us beyond the current moment, even though supporting us in the current moment is great. And the last thing I think I'll recommend is utilizing Libro FM. If you are an audiobook listener, using Libro FM instead of another digital audiobook service is so great because a percentage of the sales goes. To indie bookstores, and you can choose which indie bookstore you want, or Libro can choose for you. The bookshelf has an account through Libro FM, so it's a great way to support our store. A lot of customers ask if that's worth it for us like, does it make a difference? Does Libro FM you know, make an impact. And I can assure you that it does for our store. And I think for other stores, that percentage matters. When you're a small business, every penny matters. We used to have a customer who like came in just once a month or so and bought like a copy of Vanity Fair. And I think, you know, that's a magazine. And I don't even think she realized just that one purchase every month is so helpful small independent businesses, we're trying to keep our lights on. And so every purchase you make matters. So through Libre.fm, when you download and buy a book or a membership through them, we get a percentage of those, those sales. And those percentages, that percentage adds up and really does make an impact. So supporting your local independent bookstore, and if you don't have one, consider supporting the bookshelf. You can do that through Libro FM. And I think that's a great service. I also love that they're a family owned business too. So I think they understand the small business model and they have a great customer service too. I use them and highly recommend that service.
0: Yeah, we were huge Libro fans. We plug them all the time here. You can get to your first two audiobooks for the price of one with our link in our show notes or our code novel pairings, but it is really nice to know from a bookstore owner that it does make a huge difference. Because as a purchaser, you think you're making the right decision. But of course, like you're saying, people do wonder, like, does it really matter? And I'm so glad to hear that it adds up for you guys.
2: Yes, I think you'll see on the internet, right? Sometimes this thing going around that says, oh, like every time you make a purchase from a small business, a a person does a happy dance or something like that. Like I feel like I've seen that meme. And the truth is, absolutely, yes. Like every time an order comes in through our Squarespace, like it is a jolt of, okay, we're doing something right. We can keep going, we can keep functioning. But it's more than a happy dance, right? It's employing people. It's putting money back into our communities. It's using our community resources well. Like the small businesses I love and respect the most do a really good job of living and working in the communities they are a part of. And so when you purchase from a small business, it's more than a happy dance you're evoking. Like you are changing communities you are building up cities you are making a difference in the employment of people and so I I think that's the other thing it's it definitely makes me want to do a happy dance but it also means I can pay my bills I can pay my taxes and I can keep supporting the city of Thomasville and that's really important to me.
1: Thank you for sharing all of that It, it really means a lot to have that perspective and to feel like you're doing something for the good of your community when you're purchasing books for your own shelf. It seems like something selfish to, to be a book hoarder a little <laughs> bit, but it, it is really good to hear that it's it's something that fosters community
0: and helps people keep their jobs. So yes. thank you for sharing. Absolutely. And I, I want to give one added plug for those shelf subscriptions that you mentioned, Annie. I just think this would be such a good gift, especially right now to, you know, give to a reader in your life and they know for the next, you know, one or two or three, however many months you, you gift, they're going to have something to look forward to. Like there, it's just, it's such a nice treat in pandemic times to have something like that in your life. So I think I'm gonna it's add so that to my, my Christmas list.
1: <laughs> it's so true. I can attest because Sarah's gift really did help me. My birthday is in March and so oh. that first subscription box and the next <laughs> and the next really was lovely to look forward to and it made such a difference early on in pandemic life when everything felt so weird.
0: <laughs> and you've heard Annie recommend books, so you know that they're doing a good job selecting books yes. for these boxes.
1: <laughs> so, after we sign up for Libro FM, after we make our holiday purchases from our local bookstores, another way to show support is just the free, simple stuff like shouting out your favorite bookstores on social media, liking their posts, and sharing their content with friends. So, Annie, we would love to know where people can go to follow the bookshelf, to find your podcast, and find you just to do those really easy simple free things to show our support.
2: Yes, that's a great point because I know that in a pandemic year not everyone right can go buy a shelf subscription. And we get that. There are so many free ways to support Small businesses. So, to support the bookshelf, you can follow us on Instagram at BookshelfTVille. Liking posts, I've heard saving posts is so helpful for the algorithm. So, you can follow along there. You can also follow me personally on Instagram at AnnieBJones05. I mention that because I do occasionally post book reviews. And so, if that is your thing and if you like to hear reviews, then you can follow me there. You can also access the Bookshelf's website at bookshelfthomasville.com. Our store podcast, as Chelsea and Sarah mentioned, is From the Front Porch, which you can find on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you're like your, my mom, you can download it from frontporchpodcast.com and listen to the episodes
0: <laughs> straight from the
2: website. <laughs> so if you're not podcast savvy, just go to from the front porch
0: Uh
2: And that's where all of
0: our show notes and past episodes are as well. Thank you for that, Annie. You definitely, if you like listening to Chelsea and I talk about books, you will love listening to Annie talk about books, so definitely check out From the Front Porch. And Annie, this has just been so delightful. I can't thank you enough for coming and talking books with us today. This has been so fun. This came,
2: your request to chat came in my inbox, and it's the time of year where like the inbox is starting to get overwhelming and you know I'm having to pay a lot of bills and it's very (laughs) hectic in the store and so to see this request I immediately I have um Michelle who kind of helps me keep track of my schedule and I told Michelle I was like do whatever it takes (laughs) block me out time (laughs) so that I can talk about little women with these women (laughs) like (laughs) so thank you so much for having me this has been so delightful and such a treat so thank you very much
1: oh well now we feel special thank you so much for making time (laughs) thank you we cannot wait listeners to hear about your holiday purchases and how you're supporting your local bookstores this season so send us a message or tag us in your instagram stories you can find us at novel pairings pod on instagram we also share news and announcements and book recommendations and we would love to see you there we also cannot wait to talk about little women next week so stay tuned for that episode and please keep spreading the word about novel pairings by sending your friends a link to an episode or writing a review
0: assistance and to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we'll be back with our episode on Little Women. Until then, we declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner when?